Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. If you're brand new, we're in a series titled Dream Again. Everybody say Dream Again. And really the, the purpose of this series, and I want to go a little bit longer in it because I really believe this, that when Jesus comes on the scene, he says you must be born again. And born again really is this amazing uh, spiritual concept that even though we were born into this world, we were born broken, we were born into death, we were born into sin, and we, must, and we were basically born into cursing. And so we must have a spiritual rebirth, and we must be born into blessing with a new identity, a new purpose, a new joy. And I believe that when you are born into that kind of promise, you're going to dream differently. Can I get an amen? And so I want to go to Hebrews 11, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. Let's just start there. I don't have it on the screen because I'm going to read it fast. Uh, But it's just about faith. And here's what it says. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. I don't know about you, but I want a good reputation. Here we go. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. It was by faith uh, that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. And it is impossible, everybody say impossible, Impossible. to please God without faith. I think faith is a little important. We're starting to see this, yes? It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessing for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. And it was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, we're talking about Jacob today, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed and worshiped as he leaned on his staff. Stop. I don't know, but have you ever lost faith in anything? Just lost faith in something big time. I have lost faith in the DMV. Anybody else? Yes? I've lost faith in the DMV. If I have to go to the DMV, it, you, can, you can see it on my face. You can, I, I count down the days. You can see it in my countenance. Like, tomorrow I gotta go to the DMV. I don't know when I'm gonna be back, everybody. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if I'm gone for four days, you know where to find me. I'll be at the DMV. I've lost all faith that I'm gonna walk into the DMV and the people at the DMV are gonna be like, oh, Tyler Johnson, you're here. We have a seat for you. Here's some water. Hey, we'll be with you in one second. So glad you're here. And we wanna make sure this is the best experience. That's the opposite. It's like, take a number, sit there. We'll get to you when we wanna get to you. And if we get to you before you die, you're welcome. But if not, whatever, because you can't go anywhere else to get your license. I've lost faith in humanity on Black Friday. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I don't even go out on Black Friday. Who goes out on Black Friday shopping? Who are those people? Like the ones that say, like, you, you, you literally risk your life uh, because there are crazy people out there that will run you over and take a TV that's 40 inches big that is, you know, for $200 for that day. It's $229 on the, all the other days, but on Black Friday, it's $200. Save 20 bucks, everybody. Um, I lost faith in humanity on Black Friday. It's an interesting thing because when you lose faith in those things, it really doesn't change everything. I'll never forget, like, Rachel and I, we share chores like crazy, but I remember she washed my clothes one time. And I wash them sometimes, but I let her wash my clothes sometimes. We could throw them together. And I've lost faith in Rachel washing any of my clothes. I have. I have. I just got to be honest. Uh, I... Uh, I had one really nice expensive sweater that somebody gave me when I was in LA. It was like a $500 cashmere black sweater. It was a gift, yes. I would never have bought it. But a cashmere sweater, if you've ever had one, I used to, um, uh, until the moment, uh, you feel like you're wrapped in a cloud. 
And, but what's nice about, and I love cozy. Cozy is one of the most important things to me. And so I remember uh, I would put this nice black cashmere zip up uh, thing on and I could dress it up, dress it down. It didn't matter. It just was so, it was so, oh, it was just one of my favorites. I'd preach in it once every seven weeks, six weeks. I, it was my favorite thing to wear. And then Rachel washed it and dried it on high. And miraculously, it now fits her instead of me. And now Rachel has a new favorite cashmere sweater. Ever since that moment, that was about, I'd say five and a half years ago, I've never let her do my laundry. <laughs> now, these are simple, silly illustrations of what happens when you lose faith in little things. But what happens if you really lose faith in God? What happens if you really lose faith in your future? Because if you lose faith in God, God, I wanted you to take care of my life, but I feel like it's ruined, so now I'm gonna take everything into my own hands. Just like I took my own laundry into my own hands. It's just laundry. Who cares? But what about your life? There's this amazing moment in this movie called It's a Wonderful Life. And it's in A Wonderful Life where these uh, angels are talking about this man named George Bailey. George Bailey has some friends. George is discouraged. He's having a hard time. He's uh, basically, he's over life. It's just the worst moments. And so he's, uh, he has some friends pray for him. And so in the movie, this angel orders another angel. It's time for you to get your wings. Go down. You need to help George Bailey. And the angel, before he goes, he goes, what? what, what? What's wrong with, with George? Is he sick? Does he have a disease? What's wrong? And the head angel's answer is so profound in this moment. He goes, it's far more worse than a disease or a sickness. George Bailey is discouraged. He's lost faith. And in the church today, if I could just be honest with you, I think a lot of people are discouraged. They've lost faith in their promise. They've lost faith in their purpose of why they're created. They've lost faith that tomorrow can be a better day. Duke University did a study recently. This just came out a few months ago. And I love it when uh, secular studies prove Jesus right. It's my favorite thing. And basically they do the study and they show that people who have a belief in something, even in themselves to an extent, but they have their belief in something, they work hard and they're more successful in life. It's basically this whole study of if people have faith in the right thing, aka their faith in Jesus, they will live differently, that their better days are ahead of them, that what I was born into will not define the rest of my life, that what somebody did to me, some abuse, some terrible thing, this cannot be the way my life ends. I have faith that it can be better tomorrow. It was by faith, it was by faith, it was by faith. Have you ever met a successful CEO that's just pessimistic? like a big one, entrepreneur, like one that has taken something from selling books to maybe Amazon. They don't think in a negative, discouraged way. They believe that they can do anything. And that's a very secular thing to look at, but you need to understand something. Look throughout the Bible. There's not one person who did anything great for Jesus that didn't believe in Jesus, that didn't believe in his greatness. I cannot find you one case study where they did not believe in the greatness of God and they did something great for God. If you don't believe in the greatness of God, do not expect to do anything great for God. Do not believe in the power of God. Do not expect to do anything powerful for God. The, the, the vehicle is faith. You better get in and enjoy the ride. If not, you can stand here discouraged, wondering why nothing is happening. God has sent you his word. He has sent you his Holy Spirit. And he still has angels today that want to come into your life and use all the resources of heaven to bring encouragement and not discouragement. Do you believe that today? Yeah. Come on. I just said angels in church, and a lot of people are like, what does that even mean? It's another sermon for another day. They're in the Bible. It's biblical. Relax. All right. Um, <laughs> let's, let's pray. Let's pray. We bow your heads. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you that your word is perfect. Six, six books written over uh, by over 40 authors, and it's, it's our light. It's our lamp. It's the thing that directs our steps. And So, Father, today, may, may we hear your word, and may it transform our heart. 
May it set us free from worldly expectations, and may we have heavenly expectations. May it set us free from worldly bondage, and may we have heavenly freedom. And may my words fall to the floor, and may your words soar. We need you. We need you. Everybody said? All right, so we're going to talk about Jacob today, and I'm going to do three parts. Where it all began with Jacob, then we're going to do the story in between, and then where it all ended. Does that sound good? Because here's the fascinating thing what I read in Hebrews 11. The preeminent moment of faith for Jacob was not wrestling with God. You would think that would be the thing that would be in Hebrews 11. These are the people who have, uh, we call them the heroes of our faith, but really none of them are heroes. Jesus is the hero. This isn't Avengers. It's Jesus and the rest of us, okay? So but we call them the heroes of our faith. We do. The Bible never calls them heroes. Jesus is the hero. Faith really is the hero in Hebrews 11, not the people. They're all flawed. They're all flawed. And so you have this amazing moment that you have Jacob where it says that Jacob's epic moment, his triumphant moment in all of his life, and Jacob is one of the most covered people in the Bible, by the way. The one that they choose is him blessing Joseph's sons? Why would that be the one that would be chosen? It was by faith that he blessed his sons. What does that even mean? I think for us to understand the, this complex, profound statement that is from the Lord in Hebrews 11 that he chose, I think we got to go to the beginning to figure out how Jacob even started. So let's go where it all began. Does that sound good? So here's where it all began. It began with Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You may have heard this. And Abraham came, uh, came on the scene, and um, basically uh, God comes to Abraham and gives him a promise. I want to create a nation through you, Abraham. Mankind is destroying themselves, and the, the way that they are doing life is terrible. I want to create a nation of my own people. I want to teach you the way that I would do things. I want you to become my son, and with a new nation, this world will actually have hope and have faith for the first time. So Abraham believes God, and it's credited to him that he's righteous because he believed God. Abraham was marked by prayer if you look throughout his life. He made seven altars. So this is the, the forefather of our, of, our, of, our, of, our, of our heritage. He is the one that, that started creating altars of, of uh, basically the, of sacrifice. Of course, uh, Isaac, he sacrificed. And if I could just be honest, our, our forefather, the way that this was birthed was through sacrifice. You look at how the church was birthed in Acts, by the way, it was birthed through sacrifice. But 2,000 years later, if I could just talk about sacrifice real quick, we live in a culture of convenience and consumerism. Sacrifice is not on the menu. We, we will go anywhere and everywhere that uh, offers us the easiest route to what we want. But in the kingdom, if you actually want to take back ground in your own life, man, you better get used to sacrifice. You better get used to commitment. And so Abraham sacrificed and he prayed and he followed God and he, he messed up, but then he tried again and he would mess up again. And he would try again. And he, over his lifetime, he built, built seven altars. And through that time of trusting God and praying and really praying, he has a son named Isaac. Isaac did not go through what Abraham went through. And so Isaac inherits everything. Abraham is now bawling. I mean, he goes from rags to riches. I mean, he's got it all. He's got family. He's got uh, cattle. He's got money. He's got land. He's got a well that has water that keeps producing water. It's this amazing thing. And can you imagine being Isaac, who didn't go through any of that toil and gets to receive all of that blessing? What an interesting thing that would be for Isaac to steward. And so if you know anything about Isaac is he basically receives all of it and starts kind of doing his own thing a little bit. He digs two of his own wells, his, uh, uh, then the enemies take him back and steal him from him, the Philistines. And what you find out, there is this well that his father dug. And Isaac's life, if you could mark it with one of the greatest moments in Isaac's life, it's when he redug the well that his father dug. And it's this amazing moment where he redigs this well of his father and there is water again because the enemy always wants to cover up the wells that our fathers have dug for us already. And so 
There are a lot of wells that have been covered up in our time, if I'm just being honest. We could, we could preach on this for the whole message. Basically that the church, if I'm just being real, in Acts, it was birthed because it was, had this well of prayer. They just started praying in this upper room and they were praying and praying and praying and then the power of heaven fell on the church. And now we do church with strategic service scripts, mailers, sponsored ads on Instagram. Not bad, these are all not bad things. But that's not what's gonna build the church. This is not an academic movement. This is not some strategic movement. This is a movement that was birthed by prayer and the power of God responded to that prayer. And so Isaac redigs the well of living water, if I could put it that way, that never would dry up. And I believe some of you, if I could just be honest, man, you're getting good at all the wrong things. But man, if you could redig the wells of what the church has done and start praying again the way you're supposed to pray, watch what happens. If I could just use this right now as an illustration, I know it's kind of tokenary, but we have a lot of power outages happening right now, yes? Well, it's, it's, it's a physical picture of what's happening in the region, but in the church, I believe that if we could actually see a map of all the power outages in the church, we'd be devastated. So many people trying to operate their life without the power of God. You need to redig the well. You need to say, God, I'm, I'm coming. I want everything that you have for me. I'm gonna pray and I'm not gonna leave my room until I sense your presence, until I sense that my purpose, I understand what you have for me. I want your power again. Can you imagine trying to do something without the power of God? It would get discouraging, wouldn't it? You'd be discouraged just like George Bailey. Can you imagine trying to operate and flourish without a well that had living water? Four weeks ago, I forgot to pay a power bill for four months came home and our, power, our, our, our water was shut off completely at our house. It's a terrible moment as a husband to your wife. Do you know that when the, the water is out, you can't take a shower, you can't flush a toilet, you can't do anything. It's out for two days. I called them, I was like, I just totally forgot. They're like, well, it's gonna take some time to get out there. I was like, I looked at Rachel, I was like, I'm so sorry. I just, I forgot. I forgot to pay, I, things got, and I'm the bill guy, I pay all the bills. Uh, and I never forget to pay our bills, but I just, for some reason, things got so busy, so busy, I forgot to pay our water bill. So I just had this red door hanger on my door. I say, you ain't got no water no more because you ain't paying your bills, man. Cold-blooded. You know, it's like, I was like, oh my gosh. And if I'm just being honest, some of you got too busy that your water's been turned off. You've gotten so busy doing everything else. The only problem is, is that we don't have a red door hanger that tells us, hey, you need to start going back to the things that you're supposed to be doing. This is a responsibility of your life. So that's Abraham and Isaac. So let's get to Jacob with 22 minutes left. Okay, here we go. Um, so now Jacob's on the scene, and Jacob and Esau are born. Esau is the oldest, and this is a big deal uh, during these times that the, 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 the firstborn son would get a double portion. The firstborn son is the most valued. The firstborn son is the most important. The firstborn son is the celebrated one. The authority is given the firstborn son, everything. And Jacob is not the firstborn son, but man, he desires to be the firstborn son. He wants this thing called the blessing. Now, in our culture, we don't get this. We don't understand. What do you mean you want the blessing? What does that mean? We hear things like this. Achoo! God bless you. Thank you. And we hear just these tokenary, oh, be blessed. Oh, the blessing meant way more than just a simple God bless you after somebody sneezed. The blessing was the ultimate thing that your soul desired. A blessing was uh, your father, somebody who you held at the highest esteem, giving you the greatest value. It was somebody that you held in the highest esteem, giving you everything that you needed inheritance-wise to succeed in life. And if I'm being honest, I think today that we all desire the inheritance of the firstborn son, of the firstborn. We desire to be valued. 
we desire to get this endorsement from the ones that we value most. You ever, have you ever seen those self-help books or even watched on you know, SNL or different TV shows where they make fun of it, but where you're supposed to look in the mirror and say, gosh darn it, people like me, I'm amazing. You know what I'm talking about? I just, I just want you to know this real quick, that, that you cannot give yourself the right words to actually fulfill the hole in your heart. You are not the one that satisfies it. So this is not a self-help, self-discovery moment of Jacob. It's a him discovering the greatness of God thing. Because if I could just be honest, you have Abraham who knew God and labored with God and built altars to God, but those altars just became rocks to Jacob. And then you have Isaac who redug wells and understood the importance again because he had to re-understand it for himself. He had to do it himself. And then you have Jacob. And I believe that it's fascinating when you watch generation from generation on what they lose from what was birthed. And so now we're a church generation from where it was birthed in Acts. And I'm wondering, what have we lost from what the early church had? Have we lost obedience? Have we lost prayer? Have we lost joy? Have we lost faith? Have we lost these things? Because Jacob lost all those things. He found all of his um, ideas, all of his hope in his own human strategic ideas. He was the king of shortcuts. He was Jacob the schemer. He wanted a shortcut. So let's go to the Bible, Genesis. Let's see what happens here. It's a famous uh, part of the Bible uh, in Genesis. It's Genesis 25, and it talks about Esau uh, and Jacob. And if you know anything about the story, basically from birth, Jacob was grabbing Esau's heel, and it was promised that, that Jacob would rule over Esau. And, and there's two uh, parents, um, Isaac and Rebekah, and Isaac's favorite is Esau, and then Rebekah's favorite is Jacob. If I could just be honest, just to give you kind of a visual, I'm a, I'm a visual person. We, we sometimes read the Bible always as like, Jacob's the good one and Esau's the bad one. They're both bad. Again, it's never about good and bad. It's about grace, okay? It's about God's grace saving mankind, God's grace saving Jacob. It's always about God's grace. But the more and more you study Jacob, uh, who's seen the movie like Avengers and Thor's? Raise your hands. A lot of you? Yes, okay, good. Okay, good talk. Um, uh, there's these two characters that I almost feel like they, they stole the idea from Jacob and Esau. One is Thor and one is Loki. And really Esau's more like Thor and Jacob's a lot like Loki. It says Esau was a skillful hunter. He was a hairy dude. I always wonder how hairy you have to be to make the Bible to be hairy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like, yo, this guy was hairy. Put that in the Bible. We're talking hairy, you know? Um, like, even Leah, like, how ugly do you have to be to be, like, written, like, right, hey, weak on the eyes, super ugly, okay? Um, I always wonder why that, I, I mean, there's a lot of ugly people. They don't have to put it in there all, every time. Uh, anyways, these are things I'm going to ask Jesus when I get to heaven. But it says about Jacob that he was the one that liked to stay among the tents. He liked to hang out in the kitchen. And he was a schemer. And we picture this heroic person named Jacob. Jacob was mischievous manipulator, out for himself, not caring about anybody else, but really caring about himself. And it's an amazing moment because it says this. It says, in Genesis 25, 27, we read it real quick. It says, the boys grew up. At this time, scholars believe that at the youngest, they're in their 30s. Some even think they're in their 50s at this moment. But when you read about the bull and the beans and the trade and this whole thing, you think they're like these like 10-year-old kids fighting. But isn't it fascinating that people can grow up but still act like 10-year-olds? And so it says, the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Man, you think uh, you're the only family that doesn't have everything right? Man, read the Bible. They are so messed up in the Bible. Jerry Springer status. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. Famished, this is, what, uh, this is why he's called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. 
Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Stop. It's a fascinating moment in the Bible. It's a very famous one. There's a lot of illustrations you can use about selling your birthright for a bowl of stew. I think that every day we have an opportunity to live our birthright, which is joy, peace, conquering, taking back ground, becoming everything God calls us to be, or we can be content and take whatever the world has to offer us. It's a very obvious illustration that we see in this this moment the Lord's showing us. But I want to take a different bent here because it's so powerful. It says, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter. So Esau got good, at, got good at something. He got great at becoming a great hunter, but he wasn't great at self-control. And it says that Jacob just became basically a really good schemer. And so you have two people, and I, just, I thought about this. How sad would it be if you grew up and you became great at all the wrong things? Not great at faith. Like imagine if, uh, Isaac, uh, imagine if Jacob became a great servant. Like Esau came in, oh my gosh, you're, you're, you're hungry. Let me, let, me, let me get you a bowl. I'd love to serve you. I'm a servant. Because if I'm being honest, if you want to be great, you must become a servant. This is, this is an obvious biblical principle in the Bible. But this is not what happens in the story. How amazing would it be if Esau came in and said, Jacob, I've been thinking about this, and I really don't care about my birthright. I really don't have a lot of respect for it, and I would love to, to give you my birthright. What if Esau became really selfless and became great at becoming really generous with the things that he had? How sad it would be if you became great at making money, but you're terrible at being generous. How sad it would be if you became great at some craft, but you're terrible at community. How great would it be if you got everything you wanted, but then you actually lost everything you needed? This is what's happening in this moment. They grew up and had actually nothing they needed. And so my, my, my prayer for you is, as we look at this is, is we're going to go on a journey with Jacob, and it takes Jacob's whole life to really find out where he can actually find victory. I believe the Bible is a gift to us that we don't have to take our whole life to figure out where we find victory. We don't have to fight our whole life to find out where we find our value and our purpose. Let me show you this. So we're going to go, basically, can I share the story of Jacob, the whole thing? I'm just going to go off on this. Does that sound good with you? So, so Jacob steals his birthright, and then later on in the story, Jacob uh, um, and Esau um, are a little bit older now, maybe in their 40s, and um, Isaac his favorite is Esau, and he's in his early hundreds, like 120 years old, let's say that, around 120, 130. And if I'm being honest, you can tell Isaac wants Esau to get the birthright. There's this promise that Jacob's going to be the one that gets it. You can tell even the father, Isaac, does not want uh, Jacob to get it because he lives for another 60 years. He goes, I'm about to die. I want to give my blessing away. Now, 60 years is a long time before you die. So it's kind of fascinating when you actually look at the context of what's happening here. So uh, now his vision is starting to get impaired with old age, but Isaac says, man, I want to give my birthright to Esau. So he asks Esau, go and hunt, bring me back some food, and cook me some of that game, one of my favorite meals. And so Rebecca hears this, and instead of trusting that what God promised, because God promised that Jacob would be the one that would inherit the birthright. He would inherit the inheritance, the value, everything that comes with the birthright. They did not trust this promise. Well, God, doesn't look like you're actually taking care of it. I'm going to bring it in my own hands. So here's what they do. They take Jacob. They dress him up in some hairy clothes. Again, how hairy was Esau? We'll find that out when we get to heaven. But he's in some hairy clothes. And then, and then, um, uh, um, and then Rebecca makes this uh, meal that's just like the one that Isaac wants. And he comes in, dressed up like Esau, and says, Father, it's me, Esau. Now, Isaac's kind of saying, hold on a second, you, you, you say you're Esau, but you sound, you sound like Jacob. 
Are you, is it really you? And he goes, yes, it's, it's me, it's Esau. And, and what a silly thing to do to dress up in a costume to get a blessing. What a silly thing to be an imposter to have somebody say, okay, I want you. But if I'm just being honest, I think a lot of us dress up in certain ways and portray something completely different so we can hear from somebody, good job. You're amazing. I want you. Because if we show people the real us, would anybody want to date us? If, if we show people the real us, would they even want to come to the church that they pastor? Would they actually want to be in the small group that they're in? If we actually, so a lot of us, as silly as it looks like Jacob dressing up to steal the blessing, I think we do it all the time in different contexts. We dress up in certain ways and we can't show people our real self, so we put on our fake self. But God cannot redeem your fake self. He cannot bless your fake self. He can only redeem the real you and bless the real you. And so Jacob dresses up in there, and it's this moment where the father's still kind of like, I don't, I don't think it's you. I, I just, okay, you know what? Come and give me a kiss. It's like the last test for the father, the son to give the father a kiss on the forehead. And so, so and this is where it's, I think the most sad moment of this whole story is Jacob goes and kisses his father on the forehead. And because he's got these, this hairy clothes and he smells like the outside because Jacob would have been the guy who was manicured uh, in the tents, probably had his hair shampooed really well, a lot of product. Um, literally, like, this is the way, like, he would have been Loki, like, you know, just, like, you know, f- looking all fresh and clean. And Esau would have been the one that smelled like the outdoors. And so he kisses him, and, and the father says, oh, the aroma of the outdoors, oh, my son Esau. And can you imagine being Jacob and seeing the the joy on a father's face for somebody else and not you. It's the saddest moment to me. He's like, okay, it must be you because you smell like the sun. That's my favorite. And so Jacob steals the blessing and he walks out and within minutes, basically, Esau comes back from catching the game and finds this out. And he is so angry. He's like, I'm so mad right now. That's it. I'm, I'm going to, I vow, I'm going to kill Jacob. And Rebecca hears this and she goes, okay, hey, you can't stay here. She sends Jacob away. She goes, you should go with your uncle Laban. You got to get out of here because your brother's going to kill you and you will not be able to fight your brother because you is not that kind of fighter. You are not a fighter. You's a lover. You know what I'm saying? You got to go, Jacob, okay? Your brother would destroy you. Um, and he's like, you don't have faith in me? Whatever. So, so, um, so then he, uh, she, uh, uh, Rebecca intervenes and says, hey, I don't want um, Jacob marrying one of these girls, local girls. I want to marry one of our people uh, in, in, our, in, our, uh, in our tribe. So he goes to Uncle Laban. It's a really sad moment, to be honest, because he manipulates and steals the blessing, but really loses everything, loses his mom, never sees his mom again. His mom was his best friend, never sees her again. She passes away before he'll see her again. Loses relationship with Esau, and to be honest, burns a bridge with his father. So he goes on, and he goes to his uncle Laban, and this is where it's interesting. When, when you don't have the, the affirmation from the father of all fathers, Jesus, you start to have these wants that you think will satisfy you. And so it's kind of this, like, we always read the Bible in Hollywood eyes. So then Jacob saw Rachel, and she was beautiful, and he's like, I want her, I want her. And it says that he worked for her for seven years. Seven years. But it felt like a day because of how much he wanted Rachel. Oh, it's amazing. Man, this person had some daddy wounds. I was looking for a woman to fill him. And he was willing to give his whole life away for this girl. But you know what's fascinating? If I could just bounce around a little bit. He, he gets 
Leah, which is dad tricks him, um, and has him marry Leah instead because they had a party for the wedding. He goes in, uh, and he's like, hey, this ain't Rachel. This is Leah. And uh, Leah's the older sister. And it's fascinating because you'd think somebody like Jacob who wasn't picked first would be sensitive to Leah who wasn't picked first. But wounded people wound people. And he wounds Leah. I don't want Leah. She's weak on the eyes. Not attractive. <laughs> working for her for seven years would be like working the whole life of my whole life. It's the opposite. <laughs> and so he works another seven years. And finally marries Rachel. And then once he has Rachel, you think like, oh, that's it. He did it. This is where Jacob's story is going to turn. He's going to be satisfied. He got the girl of his dreams. He's got all everything he wanted. But then once he has Rachel, he's like, well, you know what I want now? I want my own land. I want a house. I want this. And he just, it's fascinating. All Jacob wants throughout, he has all these wants. He gets the blessing. He gets Rachel. Now he wants the land. And the question I have for you that I would want to ask for Jacob is, how many wants do you need to get to realize that wants will never satisfy you? I want the promotion. I want my wife to do this. I want my husband to do this. I want my kids to be better at this. I want the bills to be this. I want my income to be this. I want this and I want this. But the problem is when you come with all these wants and you get all of them, you find out none of them will satisfy you. This is what's happening with Jacob. And so Jacob uh, swindles uh, um, his uh, uncle Laban and uh, basically schemes again because Jacob's name even means deceiver, schemer. And then Laban wants to kill Jacob. So I don't know about you, but if you're looking at Jacob's life, like wherever he hangs out, the people after he hangs out with them for a season, they want to kill him, okay? This is not the best dude on the planet, okay? Esau wanted to kill him, and now, of course, Laban wanted to kill him. And I, I just want to give you something real quick. When, when this starts to become Jacob's harvest, you think he would start asking himself some tough questions. If you don't like your harvest, check your seed. Come on, God cannot be mocked. You reap what you sow. You know what I'm saying? If you don't like your harvest of no friends, check why you have no friends. Ask yourself some hard questions. If you're having a hard season in some area, check why this harvest is the way it is. It might be because you aren't being very kind. It might be because you're always looking out for yourself because if I'm being honest, Jacob was all about himself. Me, me, me. And, but that's not our generation. We're not about self. I mean, we didn't create a word called selfie. I don't want to talk about it. That's not us. We're nothing like Jacob. Did you know that a million selfies are posted every day? Did you know that the average millennial will post 25,000 selfies of themselves in their lifetime? We are seeking self, but the word says seek his kingdom first above all. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Jacob is not there yet. And Jacob has been trying to make his own dream happen with everything about himself. And he just, he's been missing it. There's even a moment, if I had time, I'd share it, but Jacob has a dream. And it's an amazing thing that Jesus comes to him. It's the, it's the stairway of heaven or or the ladder, some people call it Jacob's ladder, but he's in the middle of nowhere, laying on a rock, AK has nothing, and Jesus comes, to his, comes into him, and basically comes into his dream, and tells him, I'm gonna bless you, and I'll be with you. It's an amazing moment. But it didn't change him. The promise did not change him, an encounter changed him. And it's just amazing, like, like how did not the dream change Jacob? How did not hearing these words, I'm going to bless you, and I will be with you, not make him not be a schemer, because that happened before he went to Laban. So he comes back, and he's got to go home to Esau, and this is where it gets real. So now he's leaving. Laban, of course, wants to kill him. The Lord intervenes again. And Jacob's done nothing for the Lord to intervene. Just so you know, 
God's grace is bigger than you doing something so he'll do something. God's grace just is grace. This is what he does. And so he intervenes and tells Laban, do not touch Jacob. Don't mess with him. You will not kill him. So he doesn't kill Jacob. And Jacob goes back. And so now we've had Jacob the imposter, uh, Jacob the schemer, Jacob the wanter, all these different Jacobs, right? Uh, We've had Jacob the the, the dreamer. uh, And now we have Jacob the briber. So Jacob is coming back, and he knows Esau's brother is older. They're both older now, and he knows that Esau vowed to kill him. Esau has now actually has a lot of um, men, uh, fighting men. He has uh, a ton of wealth. And so what Jacob's idea is, is he basically creates different waves of people to go encounter his brother Esau with gifts. First way. So you could just imagine, like, so Jacob's like, okay, I'm, I'm a pretty good schemer. What's the best plan on how to soften my, my, my brother? Okay, the best plan would be, to, what's the best way to soften my brother? And isn't it interesting that everything he does is always in the physical? It's always just worldly ways. Money might soften him up. Bribing might soften him up. So he sends different waves of his own people, Jacob, to his brother to give them gifts. And so these waves are starting to happen. So they're sending waves. And so it says in Genesis, it's a very quick verse I'll read to you. It says, after he had set them across the stream, so he sent over all his possessions. Send them all over. Because if I need you guys, if he's going to hurt somebody, maybe he can hurt you first, and then I'm going to run. It's kind of gross, actually. It's like instead of the, the general going to the front of the battle to fight, he sent everybody in front of him, and he's in the very back. Would you say it's a very cowardly act on how to fight? It's a terrible way to fight. But again, Jacob's been a coward. Jacob's been a manipulator. He doesn't have face-to-face conversations with his dad. He couldn't do that. He's not going to have face-to-face conversations with Laban. He just schemes and does things behind people's back. So again, he does it the same way. All right, we're going to go to battle. I'm going to be in the very back because I'm really brave. My name's Jacob. You guys go different ways, and I'll be over here. So it's, a, it's a terrible picture of a terrible human being. Jacob. It says this, after he had sent them across the stream, I sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Stop. It's the best moment of Jacob's life. Do you know that God does the best work when you're left alone? Some of you, if you feel lonely right now, it's not a bad place to be. It's not a bad place to be. If you feel like God has separated you from comfort, it's not a bad place to be. If he separated you from distractions for the first time, separated you from relationships, even toxic ones, and you think you really need your life, he's separating you, feel alone. This is a great place to be. And so Jacob is left alone. And it just says this, I love this. And a man wrestled with him. Can you, I don't even know, like, these are, again, like, read the Bible, actually, like, stop and read what you hear. So he's left alone, and this man, it's a Christophany, it's Jesus, showing up uh, before, uh, of course, uh, born as a baby. So there's these, it's called Christophany moments in the Old Testament. There's a handful of times when Jesus shows up and intervenes with mankind to do an amazing thing. So this is one of those moments. And so can you imagine, like, Jacob just sitting there, and a guy walks up and just starts wrestling with him, like, it's not like, hey, how are you? What's your name? You ready to wrestle? You know, uh, nothing, you know, nothing, nothing. It's like walk up and just start wrestling. It's, it's what, what, like, can you imagine walking up to somebody and just start like, hey, I got you in a headlock. Hi. And you're like, whoa, back off. Like this is a really weird moment, okay? When I'm reading like, Lord, this is weird. But again, Jesus didn't want a wrestling match. He wanted a moment. Just wanted a moment with Jacob. And when you have schemers who create so many different deflections and blaming and ideas, what you really need to do with those people is you really got to get right in their grill. And so Jesus knew Jacob and loved Jacob, so he's like, I'm going to get right in this guy's grill. I'm going to wrestle with him. And he wasn't wrestling with Jacob so Jacob could show him how strong he is. No. Even have my dad here today, I just think of him being a little kid and, you know, you arm wrestle with your dad when you're younger. And 
you know, I remember being little and Armos and my dad and we'd stay there at the middle. I'd be like seven years old. And my dad's worked construction, so he's got really strong forearms, okay? I still don't even have a forearm. I have like a one arm. Um, <laughs> seriously, I just don't think I even have that muscle. Um, and so we'd be arm wrestling and I'd be going and, you know, my dad would wait there for a little bit. And I'm like, Aah! I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I might beat him for the first time. I'm seven years old, you know? And then my dad, bam, you know? But for a little bit, he'd make me think maybe I'm going to win. It says they wrestled all night. And you got to think what Jacob's doing at this moment. Like, maybe just, oh, I can do it. I'm gonna, I've, I've, I've manipulated and I've won every other time in my life in my own strength. I, I've been able to find a way, even if it's not strength, I'll use my own manipulation and charisma and my own strategic ideas and I'll get where I want to get. At this moment, the only reason why he's wrestling with Jacob is to show him how weak he is, not how strong he is. And some of you, you need to find out how weak you are, not how strong you are. And so they're wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. And finally, he starts to realize this is not some ordinary person. This is, this is Jesus, the Abraham and Isaac. I remember my grandfather would talk about this God that promised this blessing. And, and Isaac, my, my dad, like, okay, this is, this is the God. This is, this is the King of Kings. This is Jesus. And so he starts to understand who it is. And he goes, all right. I've tried everywhere else to get this blessing. My dad gave it to me, but it still didn't satisfy me. I, I'm married to Rachel. I, I need the, give me the blessing. I need this. This is broken. It's broken. Give it to me. I want it. So he clings to him. And it's a fascinating moment because Jesus says to him this, what's your name? Of course he knows his name. Of course he knows his name. He's not asking his name, so he knows it. He, he needs him to say it. Last time you got a blessing, you tried to become something you weren't. You were trying to be Esau to get that blessing. I need you to tell me who you are. Tell me you're a sinner. Tell me you're a deceiver. Tell me you're broken. Say your name because that's what it represents, deceiver, schemer. My name is Jacob. And for a lot of you, if you actually want to find breakthrough in your life, you need to tell God really where your biggest weakness is. I'm so fearful. I'm so angry at my childhood. I'm so angry at my spouse right now. God, this is where I'm at and I'm weak and I don't know how to fix it. Lord, I, I, I'm so selfish. I find my comfort in money, God. You gotta say these things to your God or else he'll never actually be able to enter into those places. So once he says his name, Jacob, this is an amazing moment. He goes, no, your name is not Jacob. You are now Israel, prince. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. And everything right there changes. And can I just be real? This is one of those most powerful moments when I was looking at it, is you had Jacob the imposter, Jacob the schemer, Jacob the uh, you know, blackmailer, dealer, taking advantage of Esau, uh, Jacob the wanner. You had all these Jacobs. And at this moment where Esau might kill him, you think that, you think, you maybe think that, that what needs to happen here is God needs to get rid of Esau because Esau is the enemy. Esau is not the enemy. Jacob's the enemy. God needs to get rid of Jacob and replace Jacob with Israel. And some of you need to understand something. You think something needs to be removed. Well, it's just always, every, every time I get in a small group, people just, oh, just, you don't get, oh, people. Oh, every time I start dating men, they're just, you just don't get men today, you know, or you just don't get girls today or whatever it is. No, 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 you don't need to get rid of those people. You need to get rid of your, the way that you see life. He needed to get rid of Jacob and replace it with Israel. And my, my, my prayer for you today is there's some things that God needs to get rid of in your life and replace it with himself. He needs to get rid of anger and replace it with joy. Get rid of selfishness and replace it with selflessness. And the only time that happens is actually when we actually come to the Lord as vulnerable as I'll get out and let him know exactly where we're at. Is this making sense at all? So let's get to the last point. It's uh, 
10.15. We're doing great. All right. I got five minutes. You get to hear the conclusion. You're welcome. Um, you be like, that's the message. Sorry. What happened? I don't know. I don't know. So now you have this new human name, Israel. And if I'm being honest, I think a lot of us wish we could have a new identity, a new beginning, uh, just a fresh start. Our, our culture calls it midlife crisis. It's where we want a new start in the middle of our life because we didn't like the way the first one went. And so we have a midlife crisis, and then we go try to have our own born-again, dream-again kind of life. And that never works out. So now, Jacob, we're going to call him Israel now because this is his new name. Israel is about to bless Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Manasseh is the oldest, and Ephraim is the youngest. And here it comes again. The oldest son and the youngest, younger son. Now, Joseph brings both sons in, and you think it's a really cool moment that he brings in Ephraim. But if I'm being honest, Ephraim is just there for like kind of just, might as well be furniture. Like he's like, he doesn't even like, right hand is the important blessing hand. He's gonna put Manasseh at the right hand of Israel, Jacob. And he's gonna put Ephraim at the left hand. And the right hand's where the blessing comes. Double portion. You are the most important. You are so valuable. Your life's going to be used to do great things. And then for the, the second one, it's like this. Thanks for being here, buddy. Tap, tap. You're so great, Ephraim. Thanks for showing up. That's all the left hand's really for. It's like, you're good, good, good kid. Good kid. You're going to be a good husband one day, maybe. We'll see what happens. And you got to imagine this. Again, like... Joseph's sons, and they know what's happening. Like, this is the moment. They might have even got suited and booted for this moment, walking in. And can you imagine maybe Ephraim, like, leading up to this moment, walking in the room, going to his dad, like, Dad, do you think there's any way, any way that I could have the, the, the blessing? Do you think I could have a great life? Could I have the great life that Manasseh's gonna, I want Manasseh's life. His is gonna be the great life. Mine's just some discard in our culture. Is there any way that I can have the great promise for my life? I mean, he could be begging, please, dad, please, I'll do anything. I'll take out the garbage for the rest of my life. Can I have that blessing? And Joseph would just say to Ephraim, you're born wrong. Can't have it. What do you mean I was born wrong? You weren't born first. And if I'm being honest, we were all born wrong. The Bible says we were born into sin. We weren't born into blessing. We were born into brokenness. We were born into a terrible, gross world with a lot of terrible things that happened. This is what we were born into. And so he brings his kids up. And it's an amazing moment because Joseph is leaning on his, uh, I mean, uh, Jacob's leaning on his staff, Israel. And I, I gotta read it to you. It's, it's too good not to read. It's in verse 17. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim, his head he was displeased, so he took hold of his father's hand to move it to Ephraim's head, to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this is the one of the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. It's a lot of, okay, right hand, left hand, uh, put it here. And again, if you read past it, it's just a lot of confusing things. But what the picture, if you actually understand what he's saying, is he's leaning on his staff, which is another powerful thing, because in the wrestling match, Jacob's hip gets thrown out of socket, so he has to limp for the rest of his life. His walk changes, and that staff is that remembrance of that encounter with God. It's a powerful thing. He's, like, that staff reminds him of God and how great he was, that he would encounter him in that moment, not deserving it, but it would change his life. So he's leaning on the staff, just a really powerful, profound moment. And instead of blessing Manasseh, he crosses his arms. And Joseph 
is displeased with this moment. Joseph does not like this moment. He goes, no, this is not right. That's literally what he says. He goes, no, this is not right. Tries to take his hand and put it on his oldest son's hand. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, dang, how old is my dad? My dad is crazy. He don't even know how to put his hands on. He's right here. I walked him to. He goes, no, I know what I'm doing. And this is the moment in Hebrews 11 that says, it was by faith that Israel, that Jacob blessed both sons. Why would that be the, why would that be the big moment? And what Jacob is doing is saying, this system is broken. Our culture is broken that only one kid gets the promise, only one person gets to be valued, only one person gets all of the, the, the understanding of who, why they were created and the rest of them are just discarded. This can't be the way it is. And my friends, if I could just be honest with you, what happened on the cross is that the father crossed his arms and Jesus willingly said, I will take the back seat and Tyler and everybody at Mission Church, they can be the firstborn. Put your hand on them and bless them. It's the picture of the gospel. This is, this is a profound moment. But how, how? There's this weird verse in Hebrews 12 that I've read past a ton. I never really understood it until I really studied the last few weeks on this. And it says, Hebrews 12, 23, you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven you have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. Let me read you the beginning of that. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children. Stop. When Jesus came on the scene, just like Jacob dressed up to steal the blessing, Jesus dressed up in our sin and our cursing to take everything that we deserved. Flip, flip that. Do you see, what, see what's happening here? This is an amazing moment. Jesus became sin, who knew no sin, so that we could become righteous. He's, he's the better Jacob. Jacob came to steal. Jesus came to give. And so if you're in the house today, I want you to hear something real quick. The number one thing desired in our culture today, they do polls all the time, it used to be money and health. Now it's fame. The number one thing in our culture is fame. And I believe this. I believe the reason why number one thing in fame is simply this. Because the firstborn, everybody knows the firstborn. The firstborn has all the fame. The firstborn has all the value. The firstborn has all of the things that everybody wants. And if you've ever seen anybody who's famous, it's crazy. I remember being a youth pastor and they'd be like, did you know the first Jonas Brothers favorite food is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Did you know the second Jonas Brothers favorite food is a tuna fish sandwich? I'm like, why do you know these things, you know? I'm like, but did you know that Justin Timberlake's favorite food is actually chicken fettuccine? Yeah, I knew stuff about NSYNC, whatever, okay? Um, And we know like all these things about celebrities. We know who they're dating. We know if they're having a good day or a bad day. We know when they're successful and we celebrate their good things. And we even know sometimes like how many houses they have. It's a crazy thing. But the Bible says that the father knows how many hairs are on your head. That'd be a weird one, wouldn't it? If you're like, did you know that Justin Timberlake has 1,767 hairs on his head? Did you know that? I know that because I'm a fan. Be weird. But the father says, I know exactly how many tears you've cried and how many hairs are on your head because you're my firstborn you're valued and I know you because I'm not a fan but I'm your father this story of Jacob you should dream like a firstborn you should dream like a firstborn Joseph was speaking for the world no not this one this is not the one to be blessed 
I don't know about you, but I meet a lot of people at church. I'm not the one to be used for revival. I'm not the one to create change. I'm not the one that's going to do great things. I'm not the one that's going to be a great husband. I'm not the one that's going to be rich. I'm not the one that's going to have joy. I'm not the one that, no, no, because the world told me I'm not the one. But the Bible says you are the one. You are the one that's going to be free. You are the one that's going to have joy. You are the one that's going to be blessed. You are the one that's going to have a great family. You are the one that's going to be a great father. You are the one that's going to be a great mother. You are the one because he crossed his arms when it was the cross. When you wake up tomorrow morning, say, I'm the one. I'm the firstborn. Jesus, you, I'm a prince now. I'm now firstborn. You, you are the, the first of the first, but you adopted me. You said, come with me. The church of the firstborn. And it was by faith that Mission Church saw revival because they realized that they were chosen by God. Not because they were good, but because that Jesus died on a cross and the Father crossed his arms. Will you bow your heads? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.